Hey guys, we're the Deals. We want to share with you guys a little story um, about what God did in our lives and took us to Africa. So I pray that you are encouraged and that you see that it's only by God's hand that that He could have did what He did in our lives. And so we pray that the focus on is on Him. And so before we start uh, about Africa, we want to share our testimonies and where we came from as children and to the point where we um, surrendered our lives to the Lord. We moved around a lot, uh, back and forth between families. When my parents split up, they both were suicidal. My brother pulled the gun out of my daddy's mouth. My mama died on the side of the road and someone found her and rushed her to the hospital. And so life was just a mess and was not fun. So being that they were on their own and we were with grandma or uncles. We, we lived a sporadic life. So we, as the teenage years got going, as you could think, I lived as worldly as worldly could get. I was a thief. I was a liar. I was a, also getting into substance abuse. I was, uh, not nice to ladies. Um, and so me and my brother left home when I was 14. I got a car together for him, and he, we, we, we moved on out of there to my mother's. Lived with my mother for a little while till she left her second husband, and then I just was lost, as you can imagine, just working to make a living and living life with no care, no concern. Um, lots, of, lots of parties in life because of the alcohol and, and drugs. And one night at a party, see, because I was brought, taught about Evolution, and I didn't believe in that. I didn't know what to believe in. I didn't believe in anything. Just this God that everybody talked about was no different than Santa Claus. Just I lived life for me and for my pleasure, and nothing else mattered. And I was at a party, and someone brought a Ouija board, which by all means I believe it is demonic to the fullest, and that no one would mess with it. But that night I realized that in the spiritual realm it's real. Like there was things happening that night that I couldn't deny, and it made me think about this little missionary girl who was about eight years old telling me about Jesus. I don't know why, but as soon as I realized this spiritual realm was real, I started thinking about what about this God and what about this Jesus that throughout my life people have been, you know, they were evangelizing me. They they were dropping, they were planting seeds, and I didn't know it, but they grew in me. And when when my heart was open, I was like. Man, and so I, I turned to those who were talking to me about Jesus, and I, they invited me to church. I went to church, and, and through the word, I came to faith, and I was about 19. I um, was baptized and began the journey. It's funny that we're talking about missions, but I was saved for about a month, and they were like, you want to go to Scotland on a mission trip? And I'm like, Sure. And so, <laughs> me and he just stop there. Uh, yeah, he'll just keep going. He'll tell it all. Um, so, like, back up a little bit. Um, I grew up as a preacher's granddaughter, so there wasn't a time that I don't remember knowing the name of Christ or knowing His unconditional love. Um, I was baptized and saved when I was seven, and obviously, when you're saved and baptized that young, you have your roller coaster through your life. Uh, um, and so that's kind of what I did, but I was always, I always fell right back into him. I would, um, and so Jeremiah, when his parents split and he moved in with his mom as an, a young teenager, he became friends with my cousin who then became, he then became friends with my brother. So then we met when I was like around upper elementary school age. Um, and so he, I had never really like met anybody like him before. He was just, like he said, he was doing his own thing. And I remember when he would come over and he'd cuss and I'd be like, you shouldn't do that. And like, he'd say he was going out to a party. I'd be like, mom, we need to talk to him. We need to invite him to church. And so like, <laughs> we would always like pick at him and, um, and just try to get him to come to church with us. But uh, apparently it worked. Um, and so we started dating when I was 14 and we were high school sweethearts and here we are a long time later. But um, right after high school, we went on a mission trip to Scotland. And that was that was the first mission trip that we had been on. And then we came back 
and we got married and I started college and I had a baby and I was like, well, I guess that seems up for me. And um, but God had started that in us and he knew where it was going to lead. And so when we were pregnant with our second, um, he went on a mission trip to Mexico. And I was definitely, like, bummed that I couldn't go. But like I said, I was pregnant. And I thought, well, once you're married and you have kids and you're a stay-at-home mom, that's kind of it for you. He came back with a definitely, like, a, a much different idea. Yeah, so this this is the missionary who told me about Christ as a teenager, just so you know that. Um I feel like we're missing a whole bunch of stuff, but anyways, so I went to Mexico with the church that we had gotten uh, involved with um, in in our town, and it was the first time that Scotland was different. That, that that's like a first world country. Uh, it was kind of like ours, so it was normal. And I was so young in my faith that there wasn't a lot that went on. But in Mexico, it's a third world country. It was tough. We saw poverty. We saw extremes. We saw violence. We saw all kinds of crazy things. And the, the team that we were with was encouraging us to listen to the Lord speak to you. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, how do you listen to God? Like, I ain't never heard him with my ears. But through his word, and however you want to define the way God speaks to you through his word, God spoke to me in Mexico. And uh, all I could hear in my soul, and however you want to define that, was was go. Go into the nations. And And so I came home. And was like, Angie, I was like, I feel like God's calling us to go in, to get involved more in the missions. Because these little trips were like two weeks, short trips. But I was like, I feel like God's calling us deeper. And she said, you're crazy. And I'm like, God, I thought you were talking to me. Like, I was like, what the heck? And so I went back to God in prayer. And I said, God, if if this is you, you're going to have to do this in my wife, not me. And so months went by. And if you need to jump in, just kick me. But um, months it went by, and we talked to our pastor and, and, and said, hey, pastor, this is what I feel. Sorry, I'm getting out of order. Once the Lord laid it upon my wife's heart, and she came back to me months later and said, Jeremiah, I think you're right. God won't, let, won't stop stirring my heart. So we both went to our pastor, and he said, well, if this truly is God and you're not going crazy, then um, I want you to pray. Pray separately. Don't talk. And if God truly is calling you, he's going to tell you both where to go without you guys communicating. And we're like, all right. So we prayed for months. Went by and I said, Angie, has God spoke to you? She said, yeah. I said, okay, here we go. One, two, three. And we both said Africa at the same time. But in the, in the, in the means, it was like, okay, God, now, I, now I'm starting to believe you that you might be calling us to Africa. Um, how? We're poor. We're in a little tiny town in, in Western Maryland, and I don't know how to get to Africa. I don't know how to do this. And so went back to the pastor. I was like, Pastor, here we are. And he said, Pray about it. Just pray about it. So we got on our knees. We prayed hard about it. And I just didn't feel God speaking, or at least leading, until I was invited to a men's retreat. And it was just coffee and fellowship. I was looking forward to sleeping and just chilling. And at the end, the guy said, Hey, we're going to have a man come up talking about missions. I was sitting with my buddy, and I ribbed him, and I said, that man's going to Africa. I didn't know him from Adam. And he talked and said, sure enough, at the very end, he said, oh, yeah, and we're putting a trip together to go to Africa. So I went forward, talked to him, um, went to Africa. But when I came back that time, I'm like, honey, this is real. We're going to go, not these little short trips. I'm not going back unless we're staying there. And, uh. Can you take over for a <laughs> So um, the organization that he went with was called Hands and Feet. It was just a small, like, church in Pennsylvania that he, like you said, met at a men's retreat. Um, and so he went, he, he went that year, and he met this lady named Casey. And she was part of that small church that she lived in Burundi, Africa. Um, and they had, you know, talked a little bit and said, we're – we're really praying about going to Africa as full-time missionaries. And I was separately searching for full-time missionary for families. I, I had never even, I didn't even know those existed until we started really looking into it. And so I found two organizations that I thought, well, this looks like it might fit for us. 
Um, I, he was already in bed, so I just saved him on the computer. And the next morning, I got up to pull him up so we could read about him. And Casey had emailed that night and said, hey, I met this guy named Brian. He's part of AIM, Africa in the Missions. And I really think that this, this organization would be a good fit for you. And AIM was actually one of the organizations that I had saved on the computer um, to look over. And so we prayed about it for a little bit, and then um, we decided to go ahead and put our application in for that. And part of that was they would send a regional administrator out to your home just to get to know you, to say, hey, these are this is what's going on in our organization right now. And it just happened to be Brian was our regional administrator. So, like, only God could put all of those pieces together um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, this is this is our call. And, and by no means am I telling everybody in this room that you need to go out and be a missionary. But what I am telling you is God has a purpose for you in your life. And this is just our story on how God called us. And so we're going to get into those, as Angie said, only God moments, because only he could align that email with this person and it'd be exactly where we need to go. And so the man come out, Brian, we talked to us. And so then we knew we knew where. We were seeing in what direction, but how? Like, this guy comes out and says, you're going to need 30, 30 grand just to get off the ground because you need to buy your stuff when you get there. You need, it's like 6000 a month in support. And I know that sounds like a lot, but when you're there, it's, it's not. It all breaks down. And so we're, we're go ahead. Um, sorry, I just have to say this. We... We keep saying that we're just nobody. So when we put in the application, it said, like, tell us a little bit about yourself. And so I said, he's a mechanic. He's good working with his, like, hands, putting things together. And I'm a stay-at-home mom, but I have a doula certification, which is like a childbirth educator kind of. You support pregnant women. Um, and when Brian came out and he brought his paperwork, he was like, well, there's this position in Kalacha that – um, we need somebody that's a mechanic that has diesel mechanic knowledge, can weld, is good at rigging things together. And we need a woman that can go into the community and be with the pregnant women before and after birth. And I'm like, you, you couldn't define us any better. Possible? Like, like, man, yeah, it, right, was, God, it was amazing. We see the direction. So we yeah. we put our nose down and, and we're heading like, OK, God, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to raise all this money. We did all the little like snicker bar sales and pancake breakfasts, and we ended up with like 50 bucks and was like, <laughs> I don't know how to do this, God. Like, and it, it became to where like, God, if this is you and we're not crazy, you're going to have to provide the money. And, and these are where it gets into the amazing things is like, we just bought a house. We just had kids. And like, God, if she was kind of mad. It's like, this is my house. I wanted to live here forever and I'll still go to Africa, but I'm keeping my house. And God, if you want us to sell the house, you're going to have to send, send a buyer. And I'm not kidding you. Two days later, a guy walks up on the front porch and says, you want to sell this house? It's like, okay, God. All right. So we, we cried a little bit and sold our house. And um, What he's not saying is he said the same thing about his truck. Right. So you, you got to understand, I stripped this truck down to the bare frame, painted every nut and bolt. It was my truck. I lifted it. I did all this crazy stuff like it was going to be the last truck I ever built. Yeah, he said, well, we need a truck when we come home, so we can, we're going to keep we're this. We're going to park this at Billy's and um, we're going to keep it. But God wouldn't let it down. Like, we didn't have no money, and I thought, God, it, it's yours. If you want me to, I stepped out of the side of the building I worked for, and I said, God, if you want my truck, you're going to have, ooh, gives me chills thinking about it. But it's like not because of selling the truck, but because of how God moved. So I'm standing there looking up the sky. I'm praying, and a dude rolls up in front of me in a truck, gets out and says, you want to sell your truck? It's like, I'm just standing there crying. This man's looking at me like, what is he crying for? And so, um, can you take over? I don't know, I'm lost. Yeah, so we we started... We went to um, Georgia to get, like, our assignment and all of that um, in 2014. And then we had to take these college courses that was required of us um, for the rest of 2014. So we started support raising the beginning of 2015. And we were like, we're going to Africa this year. We're going in July. And everybody's like, you're not. That's not going to happen. And so Jeremiah was like, we are, and I'm going to quit my job in May. And so we started support raising, and it was going well, but... 
we we just there we, was a just a roadblock. We couldn't get yeah. no further. It was like yeah. we talked to everybody we know. We did everything we can. I sold the house, the car, all the junk that we had. And we don't have enough. But God, you're doing this. You're proving to us. So we gave up the doubt. Completely just, I don't care what it looks like, what it feels like. I'm quitting my job because I know you're sending us. And so one man come up to us and because, like I said, we need 30 grand. Well, that truck didn't sell for 30 grand and the house didn't have that much value. And he says, God told me to write you this. I'm thinking, he invited us out for breakfast and thought, oh, someone's going to give us 50 bucks. He said, God told me to write you this. $30,000 check. It's like, God, how could you, how could you be any more clear that this is exactly what you want? And, um, so then that was the like large chunk that we had. We had to have the monthly support. And the day before we had to have it in June, the day before that we needed it, we were so 50% below what we needed for our monthly support. And, um, we just sat and we prayed and we're like, we, we know we're supposed to go, God. Just, just make the it. way. Yeah, yeah, just make the way. And in then, that last week, man, it just people just coming out of nowhere. Yeah. Man, we want to support you. We want to support you. And I'm standing in the parking lot of our town. Literally, I had to call AIM, African Inland Mission, and tell them I've got the money or not at 2 o'clock. And at 1.55, we got the last call and said, whew, I've, like, here's, we want to support you. And I called them. And, and so we just. We got to the dollar what we needed. Exactly. That very hour. And then we called them and they said, okay. We'd already got the letter from AIM saying, well, guys, just plan on next year or plan on the next trip. It's, you're not going to make it. But God made the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways. Uh, so those were all of our, like, only God moments in the calling and the, the getting there that we did, like, we, we did what we had to do. We stepped out in faith because we knew that he provided everything. Right. So. That's our calling. We wanted to share with that with you. Now we're going to get to the ministry. AIM is an organization that reaches to the unreached parts of the world. If you're in a place where you have a church that speaks your language, you have the ability to hear the gospel. This organization goes to the places where the language is not written down. It's a spoken language, a tribal language, and they reach the people that don't have the ability to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And so that was our goal. Um, that was where he led us out into the desert, into a place that in the 80s had no roads. And the missionaries come in, build a church, build a well, build a school. And so we went to a place in northern Kenya, East Africa, a place called Kalacha. So extreme, hot, the distance. There was no electricity. There's no running water as far as public, stuff like that. Um, yeah, it was just extreme in every sense of the word. The the, the roads there, um, you had to go straight across the desert where there were no roads, just kind of like watched your surroundings until you hit lava rock roads, which then were just terrible. It was it was four hours to the nearest town that had anything in it, um, and then another five hours to the nearest town that we knew missionaries. There were other missionaries that we could like stop in and spend the night, and then another 12 hours to the city that we got our groceries and had doctor's appointments and paperwork. So we were just really, really isolated. And Mitch can attest to how isolated we really were. Yeah, so I don't even know where to go. I'm just lost, honey. So um, the ministry there, we we did morning Bible studies with the men, the elders within the church. Um, On Saturdays, I got to go into the local uh, school and do youth Work, show little Jesus films and, and Christian oriented based films. So they could understand English because they were in school being taught it. So that wasn't outreach. Um, we, we looked to help the youth in the church and, uh, got strong relationships with the, like 15 to 23 year olds was really good with them. We're going to have pictures here in a minute so you can see their faces and, um, physically, I'm a, I'm a grease ball mechanic. I fix things. And so you'd have people coming through and rolling into town with one wheel on their car, dragging the other one, and just horrible scenarios where there's no garage around to fix it, and we could help them. Um, there were other missionaries three hours west, an hour and a half north, um, and when their trucks would break down, I'd, I'd help them. So physically, I was a fixer. I just helped wherever I could in this little shanty of a garage. Um we did children's church on Sundays. 
Um, I was able to be in the community and help with a couple births. Um, but our biggest, our biggest ministry there was just the relationships that you build. Um, you can go in and you can fix things. Just like in the town, people came in, organizations came in and made these, um, like gardens and they put hoses out there and it watered and there was, you know, it was going really well until they left and then the people just came in and took what they wanted and left it be because there were no relationships built there. There was no, you know, there was no reason for them to keep it up. And so um, the interesting thing is our biggest accomplishment within the ministry was these relationships that we built. But that was also our biggest struggle. We came in and we felt isolated. We were new and these people were so different from us. And we had struggles with like being the new missionaries, doing things differently, not understanding their rules and expectations. And we're just kind of like grappling to figure it out. But the Lord was so gracious to let us build these relationships within the youth in the community. So like there were some things I did um, in the northern parts. There was no underground water. So if you didn't catch the rain, you didn't get water. And so there's this old truck that's in the weeds for like 15 years. And I drug it out, got that diesel running, got the brakes kind of working and the clutch assembly. And I loaded that truck up with 55 gallon barrels front to end several tons of water and drove up into the north and just bless people with water. And, and it gives you an opportunity to speak to people and, and love on people. Um, and Mitch, I, I would love for if you just share a little of your heart. I, no one can really understand how remote, how isolated, and how the spiritual stuff that went on over there. But Mitch has a story about rocks getting thrown at us and um, he can attest to the, the journey of how long it takes to get from the airport to where we ministered. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, when we got to Kenya, we we had to, we were supposed to catch another plane to Kalacha, which is way, way away from Kenya. And the missionary that was supposed to give us a ticket forgot. <laughs> so we ended up having to find a, a ride. And uh, when he says roads, he says roads. Where the roads, the rocks are only this big, okay? Where it's not roads, they're basketball size or bigger. The rocks this big are the roads. That you travel on top of them. Yeah. When he, come to, when he picked us up in, in Marsavis, we just wore out. We'll have to, you'll have to tell him a little bit about that. But I was in the back of his, his, his Toyota, and I mean, we're going down this thing, we're doing this. <laughs> I slept doing this. <laughs> <laughs> for four hours. How, how long did it take to get Marshall Mystic? About four hours. I slept most of the time doing that, just banging my head back and forth against the back of the truck. But uh, it, where they were at, it's just brown. There's nothing green. It's just just desert. It's just nothing but desert and big rocks and little rocks that's, that's, and some tumbleweeds. That's all it was. We went up to the north, up in the north country, where he was talking about where the other missionary lived, and we had a, a nice time with them. They, uh, Daniel wanted them to cook a, a, a goat, but he decided, he said goats were too tough, so he cooked the sheep. Well, I couldn't even chew that sheep. With, with It was like if a, if a goat was tougher than the sheep, forget about it, because I couldn't even chew, chew the sheep. You had to use both hands on the phone. <laughs> I just chew it and suck the meat out, and then have to throw away the thing after you chew on it for about 15 minutes. It was delicious, though. Huh? It was delicious. Though. Yeah, it was delicious. Yeah, very good. On the way back from the north, though, we're, we're cruising along, and I got my phone. I'm hanging out the window, and we're seeing uh, these, these herds of thousands of, of uh, sheep, I think it was, or goats. I think it might have been goats. Sheep, sheep whatever. Anyway, I'm, I'm the sun's coming down, and one of them little African trees is out there, and the sun's, like, right there, and it's just, oh, it's gorgeous. I'm just going to take a picture. And then this, this fellow, this little short guy with a long beard and a hat on starts Throwing rocks at the truck. And uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah hits the brakes. I said, Man, you better not stop. He said, We got to deal with this because if we don't deal with it now, I'll have to deal with it later. So uh, the guy comes up to the truck, and uh, um, Baraka was with us, uh, one of the locals, and he spoke the, the, the language here. And uh, they start talking back and forth. And he says, He gets my phone. says, Let me see your phone. He said, I start flipping through the pictures. Anyway, the old man said I stole his spirit because I took his picture. He could, and see him, he could see himself in the phone, but 
or that's what they think. If they yeah. see their self, that you somehow took them and they're in your phone. So uh, anyway, they, they we finally, him and Barack had talked about it and they, they worked it out. But uh, 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 Something else I'd like to tell you, you know in the scripture where it says uh, in the Song of Solomon, it says that the, her hair flowed like goats on a mountain. <laughs> and he reads stuff like that in scripture and say, what the heck is this? Their hair flowed like goats on a mountain. When we were standing up on top of this hill, I don't know how high the hills were, but they were really high. They're not mountains, but they're just these real high hills. It looks like the surface of the moon out there. But this is up in the north country where there's a lot of green stuff. And when you stand up on top of that hill and you see these herds of goats down below, they just kind of flow like a woman's hair. I mean, <laughs> you can see stuff like that. It took me to a well that was... It's just like Jacob's well. You know, Rachel had to take the buckets and uh, walk down there. Jeremiah walked down there. And there's steps. You walk all the way down there. And you have to get the bucket and you have to walk all the way back up and pour it in this trough. And the trough goes down to it in a long line so a bunch of camels can drink at the same time. So that was really cool. Yeah. So if you got anything else to say, say it, brother. Uh, the wedding. The, the, one of the coolest things that, 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 that happened while we was there, it was on a Sunday morning. Uh, somebody's knocking on the door. The guy used to water the stuff. What? I'm sorry. I was talking about that. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> Who's the guy used to water the stuff around your house? Uh, my doctor's father. I like it. Anyway, he, he tells, he's, he's trying to tell Jeremiah he needs something. And Jeremiah says, I'm not really understanding you. Um, but, I, yeah, we'll help you, but we can't do it till after church. So we went to church. And uh, after church was over, uh, he talked to one of the other guys that could talk a little plainer, and he told us what he needed. He said there was a couple getting married, and uh, they needed to uh, Jeremiah to help them move. So he said, okay, we'll help. So he takes his Jeep and his little trailer, and we go over there, and they, they live in these little, look like a, they look like a basket turned upside down. Uh, they're these huts that they make out of sticks. And it just looks like a woven basket, a big woven basket turned upside down. So anyway, these women are out there and they're taking this thing apart. I mean, taking it apart piece by piece. And all, when they got done, it was a big pile of sticks. And they loaded all up on Jeremiah's trailer. And uh, we, we take off. And the, the women are in the back seat. I wish we had a... The, these women, they're back there and they make this sound. <laughs> this, just this yeah. loud, screeching sound. And then they would just laugh and then they do it again. I mean, they was celebrating or something. I don't know. So anyway, we get out, we're driving out into the desert to the next town, which when I say town, it was like eight or ten little huts turned upside down in the middle of nowhere. And uh, we get start getting close, and he says, stop, 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 stop. So, you know, we're not even there. It's down there, but we stop. So we got to wait here. Okay, so we wait here. And then a little while, a guy comes up with three camels, and he comes past us, and then some people coming out from the huts, and they, they meet, and then they stand there and talk a little while, and then the other guy takes the camels. What happened was he was paying the dowry for the wife. So he gave the guy the camels, and, and I found this out. You can't buy camels. Camels are like, they're, they they got pedigrees. They belong to families. I mean, you, you just don't go out and buy a camel. Camels are like something special. But anyway, when we get there, then Jeremiah pulls up there. And all the women jump out, and they get, some of them got babies strapped on them and all, and they're grabbing these sticks and start putting this hut back. And all the men are sitting over here under a tree drinking tea. <laughs> and these women out there in the hot sun, they put that hut back together. and put this. That was just that was pretty cool. That's good stuff. Thank you, brother. And I, I, I brought Mitch up here to, to, to share because he was a support sent by you guys. I don't know if you know that. We were in the pits. We were down. It's hard. Hard life over there. And Daniel, who is in Puerto Rico now, went to a pastor and said, hey, my brother's down. He needs some support. He needs some encouragement. And these idiots come over and surprise me. She tells me, you got to go to Marshall to get the mail. I've got a headache. I don't feel good. It's four hours drive going 60 mile an hour across Baja racing. And I get there. I'm because I'm, everywhere you go, you got to carry 40 liter jars of diesel to get to the next town. So I'm refilling my car, I'm refilling my tank, and I'm bent over like this. I'm in Africa, so you don't expect this kind of thing. In America, Daniel comes up behind me and gooses me, and I'm like, what the heck? So there, there I am, and I, I turn like this. 
like upside down looking, and I'm like, what? So I, I do this because it meant so much to us that you guys sent help to us while we were in the desert. So, I mean, me and Daniel have been traveling for like ever. And uh, we, we had to, like I said, catch a ride to go the last eight hours in this little minivan. And uh, we asked the guy, he said, can you take us to Marchovitz? He said, yeah, you can take us to Marchovitz. And uh, so he he takes us to Marchovitz, and uh, and it's starting to get dark, and the Muslims are playing the thing through the prayer word. And the guy's fixing to leave, and Daniel says, you can take us to Kalacha. No, Kalacha. No, no, Kalacha. Okay. Well, how about we just pay you 50 bucks and you just hang around here a little while? We're a couple of white guys standing on the street corner with our uh, suitcases, you know, and it's getting dark. I mean dark. And uh, so anyway, we're standing. We're really getting nervous. About that time, he didn't even know we were there. About that time, here comes Jeremiah driving by. Boy, Thank you, God. <laughs> Angie's the only one even knew we were coming. And, we, and he didn't want to tell Angie. I said, what if we get stuck out here and they don't know? <laughs> yeah. No, so there's a thousand aspects of life that we could talk about. And so um, thank you, Mitch. I, that's all I needed. I, I just go ahead. So let go ahead. Um, so another part of them coming was um, God perfectly coincided their visit with the day after they got there. My Pat passed away. Um, and so we kind of I knew that was coming. I had been able to you know, visit him and say goodbye. Um, but it's still hard, you know, it, it's hard when you lose somebody and you're not there to, to say goodbye at the funeral and things. And so God, only God could have known that that was going to happen at that time with this surprise visit. And, um, so they brought gifts from the church and laughs and joy that I really needed in that moment. Um, and another time that God really provided for our family with encouragement was, um, so my pat passed away, and a few months later in June, my grandma was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and that was really unexpected, and they gave her like 6 to 12 months to live. And so I planned a trip two months later to come home and see her. And right before, right be- a week before my trip, my cousin called and said, she's getting really bad. If you can get here, get here. So that night I got a flight. Um, I was on the way home in the air and she passed away. So I didn't get to make it home to see her. And, um, I was really close to my grandma. She, I grew up right beside her. I spent every day at her house. Um, so it was really, really hard. And the week before that, I just found out I was pregnant. So, um, I was, I didn't get to tell her. It was just lots of like hard things. And I was super sick. Um, so I made it back for the funeral. Um, and, when I came back, I was really at um, my lowest point, having been there. Um, and so I was struggling a lot with that. Jeremiah I was struggling in the garage and in different ways. Um, and God perfectly timed a short-term missionary, his name is Josh, to come right at that time um, because he came he came to help Jeremiah be a mechanic, but he quickly transformed from being a fellow missionary to being a friend to being our brother. He is the kid's uncle now. He, he is so special in our lives. And um, I've told him before, if God sent us to Kenya to meet you, I would do it all over again. Um, but it just shows like how how much God loves us and how much he knows our heart to know exactly what we need, exactly when we need it. Um, and I just praise him so much for that. And um, so I just want to encourage you that if God is laying anything on your heart, whether it's to write a letter, when we got letters in the mail or like small packages of Tootsie Rolls, it was like, it was the best because there were things you couldn't get there and Tootsie Rolls were so special to our kids. It was crazy. Um, but if God's encouraging you to write a letter to somebody down the street or on the mission field or um, to be a financial supporter. When we first got there, we were like, we were where we needed to be, but quickly it went downhill and people quickly forget that you're in a country that you, that isn't your home country. And um, so just, just listen to that, that calling, whether it's to, to video chat, to financial support. If he's telling you to step out and go to the field for two weeks or to come visit, do it because 
that could mean the world to that person that's on the field or to those people that live in that place. You just never know what God's going to use it for. Yep. Mitch was like a missionary to a missionary. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's funny I think of the word missionary. Essentially, if you serve Christ, you're on a mission or mm-hmm. should be. Um, one little aspect, and I want to move on so we don't get long-winded, was Tuli Jufunza Kiswahili Katika Tanzania and Halafu Ule Kutembele Ku Kenya. Blah, 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 blah. Nothing to you, but they sent us to Tanzania to, to learn Swahili. And so that took a big portion of our finances to, to, to learn Swahili. And, um, oh, and you know, I don't have a whole lot of fruit in a basket to show you guys. Like, this is what we got out of Africa. Look. I don't. It was hell. It was hard. But God was still there. In Tanzania, while in school, I got to know this little prostitute that was recovering. She wasn't a prostitute when I met her. But that sounded weird. Um, she was a servant of the Lord, but she had AIDS. She was an, an ex-prostitute, and she was still heavily in sin. And I had the chance to say, sister, you got to turn from your ways. Repent, turn from them, turn to the Lord. He'll heal you. He'll help you out of that struggle. And she come back to class the next week and said, Jeremiah, your prayers have power. And I said, no, 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 honey, I don't have any power. It's God. And God helped you tell that man to leave. And God put you back on the rock. And she said, I, I feel so strong. I'm empowered. Like, and I said, praise God. Well, then the next week she brought another person like, Jeremiah, you got you to gotta talk to this one. And eventually I got to realize through the conversation, because they were like, I got a friend who, um, you know, she's wearing a black shirt, but it's not this one. Anyways, they were talking about the girl she brought. I led her to Christ. And, and so I, I threw it all. That was the only like, man, I hold on to that. Like, God, you used me in a very small way. But it brought a girl back to him and it brought another girl to him for the first time. Um, so she's going to stand in there. Little tiny chick. I'm giving her a hug in the, in the video. So I feel like I'm being long-winded. Do you want to play the video or are we lost? Um, well, in the video, there's two two parts. The first part is our um, our life there for two years. And then we went, Jeremiah and I went back in 2019. Um, when we came back to the States, we like we said, we sold our house. We sold everything because we anticipated that our life was in Kenya from for the foreseeable future. Um, and so when he told us to come back to the States, we really struggled with that um, because it, it just wasn't in our radar. And although everything was hard, I can honestly say that through the hardest parts of living in Kenya, we had so much peace that that's where we were supposed to be, that we could just rest in the Lord and say, this is super hard, but we know we're exactly where we're supposed to be. Um, and so when he called us back, we struggled a lot and we were like putting out all the fleeces because we're like, God, we don't want to go back to the States because we want to go back to the States because we're, we think this is hard. We want you to send us back. We want to go back only if you send us back um, because I did not want to come back here and not have that peace that we had while there. Um, and I was prideful. My flesh wanted to stay in Africa and be the tough. I can do this. And God was like, no, it's time to go back to things. And I'm like, once again, Angie said, I'm putting out that fleece like Gideon. God, if you want me to leave, I'm sitting on a table with the missionary buddy from, from Scott, uh, Ireland, Josh. And, and I'm looking at him like, Josh, it's, it's not that easy. Like when we came to Africa, God gave us all these things, like undeniable things that we were supposed to do what we were supposed to do. I said, I want something big like that, like, like my cars, like my truck. That was a big thing for me. I'm in the desert in a village. And you wouldn't believe some man, little African guy, which he had money. He comes walking in the driveway. I swear to you and says, Jeremiah, you want to sell your vehicle? And I'm like, oh, my God. And so you just go all in and give up the doubt. Like, all right, God, you're calling us back home. We went back home. I remember Josh being like, "Uh, do you need anything else? Like, can you just like listen now? So, yeah. Anyways, when, when God calls you, he'll lead you. Just be obedient and be humble and try to listen. And so in the second part of the video, that's when we went back and um, there are some different ministries that we were able to step back into and just see how much God had grown it. And it really was this like when 
So we went down country to have Asher. Asher was born in Kenya. Um, and I was never able to go back to Kalacha to say goodbye to the friends, the mama that I had there. Um, and so I think that that really took a toll on me when we came back. And so when we got to go back to to Kalacha, we had those closures. And then also to just see that God was still flourishing um, these ministries and that he was still doing work there um, really did, was good for our heart. And so I just we wanted to show that to you. Yeah. You want to do it now? Yeah. All right. So we got a short video. can see now with open eyes darkest water and deepest pain I wouldn't trade it for anything cause my brokenness brought me to you and these wounds are a story So I'm thankful for the scars Cause without them I wouldn't know your heart And I know they'll always tell of who you are So forever I am thankful for the scars Now I'm sending confidence With the strength of your faithfulness And I'm not who I was before No, I don't have to fear anymore So I'm Tempest holds you out 
brings my heart great joy to show those videos to you guys. I just get so excited. I can cry and scream and laugh. And, and one day I pray and hope that some of you guys would have the heart to go with us because um, it's I just know it's in the mix. But I want to break up a little bit of the monotony. Who wants to be an example? <laughs> I think I had Dustin Peel the last time. Didn't you do this with me? All right. Come on. Danny, Danny, you want some? Who, who, who else? Who I need some. I need some volunteers. Oh, thanks, buddy. <laughs> so, this is just my simple, simple word picture of a life as a missionary. So, Danny, I want you to stand on this end of the two before. Both feet, Bo. All right, we got ourselves a missionary. Now, we need someone to lift him up. That looks like you, ain't it? All right. Now, it's tough. Don't be scared now. It's tough. God's got you. It's okay. You're good. Oh, come on. Get back on the horse. All right, so we got a missionary. <laughs> let, me, let, me put it into re- let me put it into real sense here. In, in, right now, today, do you all know any missionaries? Who? Appeals. It's a real deal. So, them peels are in Puerto Rico. But it's hard. It's tough. Y'all, y'all already, y'all lifted them up. But they need more than just, just, uh, being lifted up. So, I need a, I need a prayer warrior. Who's the last person? What was the last time you prayed for your missionary? Not, no, no condemnation. But what was the last time you prayed for Lauren Daniel? Don't raise your hand. So we need a prayer warriors because it ain't as hard for the enemy to knock that missionary off. Don't raise your hand. But who in here supports them financially? I need another volunteer. Come here, buddy. You got it. So we got a financial supporter, right? Yeah, hold him up, Bo. Hold him up. The, the, the enemy, uh, yeah, you got to hold him the enemy's gonna attack, and he does. Mitch, I need a I need a supporter, but not in a financial or prayer. I need a brother to come and support him. So the enemy is gonna be attacking at all times. And this is what the missionaries need today. Daniel and Laura Peel need our prayers. They need our financial support. They need encouragement that comes from you. It says, oh, I'm thinking about you. How you doing? So that's all I got. It's just a little visual example. So if you got anything, honey, go ahead. Um, I'm on anymore. Um, with the video, just open it up. Was there any questions about any of the pictures, anything you saw, you like interaction? We love we love interaction. I mean, it's so many pictures and there's so many aspects of life that we can't talk about. Just don't have enough time. But if something sparked your mind, spit it out. The one picture that always gets me every time I see it is there was a picture of a little boy um, reaching in the window for a bottle of water. And these kids in the north would go out to shepherd their animals and would leave with one um, like they use like an oil bottle. Um, if you can think of, I don't even know, just a, a, a plastic bottle. They fill it up once, but then they're out there all day long in this heat. And so they run out of oil really quickly. And on that second trip, we were going down the road and we saw these kids. And they're always asking for water. And so we would we would buy water um, and hand it out. But they were there was this group of kids and they were yelling for us. And so we slowed down and they all ran off to hide and I yelled out and told them that we had Maji which is water in Swahili and they started running so fast they literally ran out of their shoes their shoes were flying to come and get this water water just water I mean what what kid do you know today that's going to run out of their shoes for water and so it's just like the the smallest the the things that we take for granted that 
if you think you can't do anything, you can do something. We, we handed water to, to a child that possibly changed his life. We don't know how long he had, didn't have water. Um, and so that, that picture. And then the other pictures were of um, our missionary friends who were who were planted in the north right after we left. And somebody came in and stole all of their tools. And so they had support partners that sent us the tools for us to take. Um, and so the pictures were us, like, handing out the tools. And I just thought that was a really cool God aspect where we were planning to go, and it all happened at the right time for us to deliver and support them in that way. Yeah, so I want to talk about some lessons we learned and then close in Scripture. And uh, so, yes. So um, so Psalm 51.12 says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Um, one of the first lessons that we learned before going to Kenya was to have joy in the wait. Um, that was a, another missionary had told us that because we were like, we want to do this. We want to get there. Let's get this done. And she was like, no, you, you need to learn to have joy in the wait. And um, I just encourage you to look for him right here, right now, where you're at. Um, and we, I have used that phrase daily since, since having heard it, even in this season right now, to have joy in this moment. We don't have a house. We're living in a camper and I can have joy because, you know, someone's letting us use that. We're living in somebody else's house. Um, and just to look for the moments of um, that he's allowing you to have. If you don't have joy in this moment, you're going to miss the beauty that he has for you right now. Um, another hard lesson that we learned um, was that even if you're following his will and you're, or you're following his path and you're doing his will, it doesn't mean it's always going to feel good. Um, John 16:33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So we moved faithfully forward, um, and we were, like, so excited. This is going to be the best thing that ever happened to us. And I can stand back and say that now, looking back, that that was definitely the best thing that ever happened to us. Um, but it didn't feel that way in the moment. And so we're not promised that it's going to be easy, but we're promised that his presence is going to go with us and that he will sustain us and guide us and give us peace or whatever he allows to happen in our path. Um, and then the third thing that really that I really took from my experiences is um, to lean in close to the Lord when you aren't in a storm, so that when the rains pick up and the winds hit, your roots are so deep in him that you're not going to be pushed this way and that. Um, I remember before um, my grandma's diagnosis, I we had this little um, like cabinet closet in our room in Kalacha, and the door was real small, but I opened it up and I had post-it notes all over it with verses and prayers, and I would sit in front of it every morning, um, and I would just have my quiet time there with the Lord. And then when everything happened with my grandma, and I came home, and we came back, and like I said, it was um, it was definitely my darkest time, and what I remember the most about that first day back is I went in, I opened the closet to put clothes in, and there was all my post-it notes and all of those promises that the Lord had for me. And I remember slumping to the floor and just sobbing and saying, like, God, this is hard. I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't want this. But I see you in this moment. I see your promises. Um, and so it, it also makes me think of, Mary and Martha, and when Christ came and Mary sat at Jesus' feet and she filled up on him. And then later in Scripture, when her brother passed away, Jesus wasn't there. Lazarus died, and Jesus wasn't there. And when he came back, she and Martha both said, like, Jesus, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. Um, and so for so long, I looked at that as them being like, where you were doubting what Jesus can do. But I... I see it now that they knew his power, but in the moment they were hurting. And um, after they he returned, they trusted him enough to say, like, God, where were you? Like, I, I know that you have this power, but where were you? And then what's amazing is that they followed him 
to the grave where their pain would be the greatest because their brother had been dead for four days and they knew he was dead, but they fall, they trusted him enough to follow him and see what he was doing in, in that moment. Um, and so I just encourage you to, to fill up so that when those hard times come, you can trust him in those moments. Amen. I couldn't say it anymore. I think one of the greatest lessons I learned was to seek him first. You know, you go, we did go, we were sent. It's very obvious to us that the Lord had this in his hand, but you want to take a hold of it and do it by your own strength. Go at it, go at life and the, the, your ambitions with yours, but it's it's void, it's wrong. We, we are to put him first and let him lead our ways. We can make all the plans we want and try our hardest, but if he's not in it, you just fall flat on your face. And that's where I found myself in the desert was just exhausted mentally, emotionally. And I had to bring myself back to the rock to get that strength to, to, to keep on. And so my greatest encouragement today is that you would obey those two most important commandments. Love your God with all your heart and all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's the best advice I got because, you know, there's a time coming and, and there's only a few verses that I have, um, to go with. Um, I cannot see that good anymore. Is that the next one? I've lost my paper. Because the, the Lord doesn't delay in his, man, I can't see it. The Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So my heart is is for the mission of the lost. And the fact is, our Lord, our King is coming and he wants all to come to repentance. So we ought to do our best to to live our lives with purpose. And ask him, what is your will for my life? What direction do you want me to go? Because we know in Ephesians, which I don't think I have this one. Um, he gave some to be pastors. He gave some to be apostles, some to prophets, some to evangelize, um, some for teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. He's calling each and every one of us to get involved. And so that's my encouragement because of what it says in Second Thessalonians. Um, I'm so screwed up. Did, did I give you Second Thessalonians, brother? I'm sorry. It's just the Lord leading. So in Second Thessalonians, Paul's writing to the church, and he says, this is in chapter 5, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then over in Second um, Thessalonians chapter 1, it says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So vengeance is going to come on the lost and those who do not obey the gospel. So my encouragement is, guys, let's, let's be that family together as brothers and sisters. Let's fight this spiritual battle together, encouraging one another, helping one another find our calling, find what it is God is asking you to do in life and uh, get on with it. So, um, I don't really have anything left. And uh, so I pray that our story was encouraging. I pray that the Lord's word would do a work in your heart. Um, I don't know where Carla went. There she is. So I just, you know, I find myself coming back to America, feeling lost, feeling empty, feeling like it was a failure. And that's just the enemy. And it took a long while to get back on my feet. But it all comes back to going back to that rock for repenting. And saying, Father, forgive me for I have strayed. To get back on that path and say, Lord, help me do what it is you've called me to do in life. And so I want to encourage you right now, um, as Carla plays her last song, to just come to the altar and bow before our God, our King, and, and ask him for that help. And he'll be there for us. Can I say something before we Yeah, go ahead, girl. This just all made me think, because this song, um, but I love your... You're in Angie's surrender to the Lord's calling. And it's hard to trust. It's hard to trust the Lord enough to surrender. But once you surrender, it's hard not to trust. Um, and the song, I Surrender All, um, I was just going to sing it and not say anything because it makes me cry. But um, I did some volunteer work at Victory House. And 
really my job was just to entertain, socialize, spend time with the veterans. Um, well, one day the chaplain came to me and he said, um, I need you to do me a favor. And he told me who the favor was for. And it was a man um, that had been in his room, isolated from everybody, couldn't get out of bed because he was really large and he was extremely mean. All I had heard was stories about how awful this man was to people. Um, so I kind of avoided him like the plague because um, I didn't want to get yelled at because he was yelling at people. He was very demanding. But the chaplain came to me that day and he said, um, Mr. So-and-so is getting ready to, to leave this world. And I want you to go pray with him. And I want you to go sing over him. And I'm like, wait, what? Okay. Um, I had not done this yet. Um, I was singing in the church service, but I had not sang a cappello in a room with a mean man. Um, so I went to the room and found out he was nonverbal at this point, and all he would do was stare. So I said a little prayer before I went in. Then I went in and I grabbed his hand and I said, can I pray with you? And all he would do was stare at me. So I took that as yes. He didn't say no. So I did. I prayed over him. And then I started singing, I surrender all. Now, I don't know if this man knew Jesus. I had never spoken to him, and I regret that. Um, but the fruit wasn't very good. It was, as Papa would say, he had bruised fruit from all the stories I had heard. Um, so I started singing, and all of a sudden, the tears just started pouring out of his eyes. Um and just something about that visual sign of brokenness in this man just made my heart so heavy. Um, well, the next day I come back and the chaplain comes and finds me again. I'm like, oh, Lord, please no. And um, I just knew he wanted me to go back and sing to some other person in the room. And I just wasn't comfortable. Anyway, he says, I got good news for you, Carla. And I said, what's that? He goes, Mr. So-and-so passed away. I'm like, how is that good news? He said, because the last thing he heard was you singing about Jesus. So I'm going to try and sing this song now that I've made myself cry. But, um, you know, it's, it's never too late to surrender to, to God until you've taken that last breath. And so if he's calling you, today, right now, is the time to surrender to him. Don't let the time pass you by.